There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. On this week's show, I'm going to wrap up all this ambush site setup talk with one final plea to make sure you're squared away for the season. I know you're sick of it. Hell, I'm sick of talking about it. But this is important stuff. This episode is all about stands and blinds and saddle hunting sites that you just aren't that excited about. I know that sounds weird, but bear with me. There's a second layer of options that you should be building in as a deer hunter. Maybe a third if you place a mobile strategy ahead of them. Either way, spots you're kind of curious about or you think the bucks might possibly get pushed to with the right amount of pressure, they're important. They matter. And even if you don't get them fully prepped now, you should be aware of them and you should have them built into your plan. This is like the final, final, final checklist before hunting actually starts and it's time to switch gears. Until then, listen to me beg and plead one more time on this topic of ambush sites and how important your work with them is right now. When I suggest something to my wife that she fully knows she'll never agree to, she often says that we should put it in the maybe pile. In marriage, the maybe pile is where my hopes and dreams and little ambitions go to die. In deer hunting, or more specifically deer hunting ambush sites, the maybe pile is different. It can be a good thing. I'm guessing so far you're like, what the hell are you talking about? Well, what I'm talking about is options. There are a lot of reasons that mobile hunting has gotten so popular in recent years. The public land explosion has certainly helped. I never dreamed we'd get to a point where not only would it be the cool thing to do to hunt public land, but where we'd also get so used to it that we'd allow this damaging trophy deer obsession thing to leach into the point where it's not that big of a deal to kill a Pope and young buck on public land. That, my friends, is bananas and totally off topic. In response to, and probably somewhat responsible for the mobile obsession, is gear that makes the whole process so much easier. We had saddles for a long time before they got popular again, but never the well-designed, super lightweight options like we have today. 
we had sticks and stands and steps and hang-ons and a variety of different stuff as well, all weights and sizes, but never really the quality and the functionality of what we have today either. It's a different world out there, and I, for one, freaking love it, but not solely because of the reasons you're likely guessing. I love it because it gives us so many viable options for ambush sites, and options are the whole point of this episode once again. The best hunters, they keep their options open and they give themselves lots of options for every hunt, every potential sit, for every piece of private and public ground they set out to conquer. This is something every deer hunter should emulate, and I'm going to tell you why. Now, if you remember way back in some of the earlier episodes of this podcast, I talked quite a bit about satellite imagery and marking spots, but then also about walking in and really evaluating those spots. We've covered that, and we've covered trail cameras, and we've covered glassing. All of this scouting has one real goal, put us in a position to shoot a buck. Of course, in some ways, it's not so simple, but in other ways, that's it. That's all there is to it. And the thing about this is that the more options you've got for quality ambush sites, the more likely you are to eventually be in a position to catch a deer off guard and put an arrow or a bullet through his lungs. But this doesn't go just for your best stand sites. It goes for the spots where... You've got some sign, some inkling that it might be decent, but you're not dying to hunt them. Those are good backup spots and you need them because the weather and the other hunters and just the divine whims of deer often don't allow you to effectively hunt your best spots just because you want to. Fully set up and ready to go as well as potential ambush sites is where you want to have a deep bench as a deer hunter. I know you're probably sick of hearing this, and I promise we'll move on to something different next week. But for now, consider your goal to be to have a plan A, B, on through to Z, so that when you do have a night off and the wind is blowing from the northeast, you've got a decent enough spot to go into and either climb into a stand or set up in. Better than that, consider this a bigger quest. You should also be looking for backup ground. Maybe it's just a chunk of public land you're not super excited about because you got some private down the road, but it could provide a place to hunt when the conditions keep you out of your best spots. Maybe you'll have a chat with a coworker about how they've got 20 acres around their house and the deer keep eating their ornamental shrubs and they'd really like that to stop. I got permission to hunt 40 acres in the suburbs one time by talking to the checkout gal at my local grocery store. She saw me buying a hunting magazine and mentioned that she used to bow hunt. Five minutes later, after we were talking a little bit longer, she told me, swing on out and see if there is anywhere I wanted to hang a tree stand to shoot a few deer. Listen, I know that's a unicorn scenario, but it happens. Having an extra stand or two that you lump into the maybe pile, that's a good thing. Having an entire property in the maybe pile is a hell of a lot better. And you better get after it now as we creep up to the bow season. This late, late summer time frame is about the last week to really get in and bump deer and leave scent around before I personally start to get really nervous. Now, I know this is entirely dependent on when your state opener is or the opener for the state you plan to hunt is. But generally, when I'm a few weeks or a month out, I try to stay out as much as possible. Part of this is due to past experience pushing it too much and hurting my hunting. And part of it is due to the fact that I know other hunters will be roaming the woods and setting up the week before the season opens. This is an absolute guarantee happens every single year and i know i can't do anything about them so i have to take care of myself and since i know there is a gap between when i'll last head into the woods without a weapon and when i'll head in armed i want to make the most of it 
In fact, just two weeks ago, I broke this down in pretty good detail and told you to get your shit done out there because it was time to be done. I lied then because now is really the last time to get in and get the work done. I promise. Last week, we covered the setup strategy for some of our ambush sites, the gimmies, you know, like the field edge setups and the deeper into the cover setups when pressure gets to the deer, those staging areas. But this week, it's a good time to reflect on that work. How many stands do you have up? How many trees do you have prepped or at least marked for potential sits? What's the ground blind count at? The fewer the number, the easier it is to burn those stands and ambush sites out to the point where you'll swear all the bucks are nocturnal and the lull is absolutely real and that bucks have a sixth sense and the wolves have killed them all and your neighbor must be poaching them and, 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 and. The more you hunt a spot, the more the spot is going to suck. I look at it this way. If I walked out of my door and I went down the street and three months each year, I randomly ran into grizzly bears and one cul-de-sac, I'd avoid that sucker pretty quick. I'd be like, you know what? Since it's September and I know those goddamn yogis are going to be there, I think I'm going to just head a few blocks over and avoid that street because it's scary country. Deer figure out where you like to hunt. I promise you that. The deer that you really want to kill, the ones that you're going to put on the wall, they figure it out well. That means that if you've got a few stands up and that's good enough, well, it's probably not unless you don't hunt very much. Having some standbys and some stands you really like to sit is awesome, just as it is to have a perfect tree on a nice creek crossing that you know you can show up to and either saddle up or use a climbing stand on. Hell, if you want to go sit a box blind on a food plot for 90% of your sits, go nuts. But understand that the way we often hurt ourselves the most in the deer woods is by concentrating our pressure. We do this because we either get lazy or we just don't know any better. Now you might think, but I've only got 30 acres to hunt. How many setups can I get on in 30 acres? I don't know, but I hunt a lot of small properties and I'm continually amazed at how many deer I can run into by moving just a hundred yards. It's not always possible and I get that. But again, we have to evaluate what is actually true versus what we want to believe. And it's easy to believe a parcel is too small for any real options. But is that actually true? A 20-acre chunk, if it's shaped like a lot of 20-acre chunks, measures roughly 200 yards by 400 yards. If that's all woods or cover, you can bet there are more than a few spots worth hunting at different points throughout the season. And even then, if you don't have that many options, this is why you try to find that backup spot. Give yourself more to work with. Look, all I'm saying is it's best to take some inventory of your stand sites and your hunting ground and look for ways to expand upon them. This is one of the reasons I love having four days to hunt some new piece of public ground somewhere. I've got eight sits to work with, and I don't want to waste a single one. I also want to get in and get in on the action fast, and if I don't, I don't waste any time waiting to make a move. It's hard to get complacent when you fork over the money for a non-resident license and have a short window of time to fill it. It's a different story with a full season and a few go-to stands set up and prepped. This makes it really easy to default to the comfortable, to decide that maybe today will be a good day and that one will walk by one of your favorite stands, even though you've sat it six times so far and haven't seen anything bigger than a spike. Now, in fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little Freudian here on you and dive into the psyche of the average hunter. I think we are burned out as general adults on making decisions and mind grinding over stuff. All day long, our jobs and our families and our daily lives, we make decisions by weighing consequences and trying to do our best to come up with the right answers. 
When we deer hunt, we often just want to go on autopilot because it's supposed to be an escape. It's supposed to be fun. This is one of the reasons why it's a dream for a lot of hunters to have that box blind over a sweet food plot that will draw in deer from the opener to the closing bell. There isn't a lot of mind grinding to do there. If you're going hunting, you know where you're going to go. You know where you're going to sit. It's easy peasy. But that's cruise control style of hunting, and it isn't available for a lot of us. And even if it is, it often isn't the best way to kill a big one. It's comfortable and it's easy, but comfortable and easy rarely exist on the path to accomplishing something really difficult. And don't kid yourself, targeting decent bucks and actually killing them consistently isn't easy. This all goes full circle back to deer and their home ranges and how well they know their ground. That and how good they are at seeing, hearing, and definitely smelling us. You need to show up where he doesn't expect you to be. And you're going to have a tough time doing that if you've got two stands up and no mobile strategy and nothing in the maybe pile. Sure, the first couple of sits might catch him off guard. But after that, all bets are off until the rut or some random good fortune strikes when you're sitting. And instead of waiting for Mercury to be in retrograde and the crystals to heal your aura enough to be a better hunter, take stock of what you've got to work with now and what you'll need to do if those ambush sites that you just love flame out. Or the wind doesn't cooperate for the first three weeks of the season. Or your three favorite spots are also the favorite spots of other hunters. The way I do this is sort of clump my ambush sites into conditional categories. For example, if I've got three spots that are perfect for south winds, those are my first considerations for a hunt during a south wind. It's not exactly revolutionary, right? Of course, I'll have those ranked by the likelihood of them producing given the proximity to food, water, and of course, just what my personal instincts say at the given moment, knowing the weather and the time of the season. If I've done my job right, particularly during the last few weeks of really setting up these spots, I should have confidence in all of those stands. Just as I should have confidence that if a front shows up a day before the opener and brings with it a north wind, that I've got places to go so I don't miss a beat. Or worse, be forced to settle because I want to hunt, but I don't feel like I've got a good setup for the day. Settling, whether in deer hunting or careers or spousal selection, it's a bad idea. It's like stepping on a moving treadmill in front of a gym full of strangers. You won't enjoy it, I promise you. Take time to pour over your scouting in aggregate. All of the sightings, the images, the boots on the groundwork, and then take stock of your go-to setups. What are you missing? What are the conditions that will throw a wrench in your whole plan and leave you scrambling? Address those now. You don't have to go out and hang a bunch more stands in a neurotic effort to cover every wind direction and every potential move the deer are going to make. You just have to know how you do that and be comfortable with whatever it'll take. You should also consider that some of your maybe pile stands or maybe pile hunting spots will turn on at some point in the season in a way that you just can't see coming. After all, there's a reason you like them even a little bit. Now, they might be cold during the summer or the early season, But when the pressure gets to the deer, the overgrown homestead far from the main woodlot might be where the bucks relocate to when they are sick of getting pestered by camo-clad dipshits. Knowing where you're likely to go when your best spots aren't huntable or they've just cooled off is a huge step in the right direction. It keeps you in the game and it gives you my favorite buzzword, which is options. And if the maybe pile doesn't pan out, you can head out to look for fresh sign and figure out something on the fly that your pre-planned setups just missed. This, I'm absolutely convinced, is one of the things that a lot of the best deer hunters handle really well. 
They're confident in their ability to adapt, of course, but they're also really good at anticipating failure and trying to find workarounds. They do this in the space between their ears, and it's something that can really only come from experience in the woods. There's no workaround for that, but the silver lining is that you can accelerate the process by using that three-pound lump of fat and electricity between your ears to really parse out your options and prepare for the unexpected. Now, this might sound defeatist, or at least like I'm saying, there's no way you've got this right, and you're destined to realize you should have done more work. That's not what I'm saying at all. If you've been putting in the scouting and the setup time, you might be right there on the doorstep of a phenomenal plan. And I hope you are. But if you're not, or if it just doesn't shake out right away the way that you'd expect, then you'll have to accept complacency and cross your fingers or adapt. The latter is the obvious choice. And it's made so much easier when you've scouted quite a bit and given yourself a wealth of deer knowledge to work with. In a way, this is like two-a-day practicing, watching film and just getting ready for the first game. It's not as fun as playing, but without it, the playing won't be nearly as fun because you'll lose bad or the potential to lose is, is going to be higher. And the good news here is that we are on the doorstep of season openers in several states, which means that it's almost time to actually suit up and hunt. Before that, take real stock in your ambush sites and your mobile setup if you have one. Are you good with the plan or do you need to change things up a little bit? Do you have enough to work with as far as potential wind directions and September conditions you might face? If so, good. Go golfing or fishing or whatever. If not, you got a tiny bit of time left to set yourself up a little better before we get into the actual hunting strategies for the early season, which is the topic for next week, or more specifically, hunting water for early season whitetails. If you aren't afraid to sweat to kill a big one or have always had your heart set on shooting a velvet buck, you're definitely going to want to tune in. That's it for now, my whitetail-loving friends. Be sure to tune in next week so that you can keep outsmarting the deer and out-hunting the competition. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening and the support, and we will see you right here next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.